0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E.
2: Hi. My name's John Carasella and I'm your host for Convergence on Firefly Willow's L-I-V-E. Convergence is to consciousness, as gravity is to the material world. In small amounts, gravity is overwhelmed by every other fundamental force of the universe. But gravity has something nothing else has. It's cumulative. The more matter you collect, the more gravity you get, until it becomes the most powerful force of the material world. I think convergence is like that too. Only in this case, we're working with truth. The more truth we collect, the more convergence we experience. Connections, relationships, resonance of ideas and concepts, science and mysticism. Lately, deep truths just seem to be coming together, even as many of the illusions around us are falling apart. As within, so without. As above, so below. I know I'm feeling it, and I'll bet you are too. For the next 90 minutes, we'll be exploring concepts and topics that in some way or another bring us around to a deeper truth. Join me and my guests for this week's experience of Convergence. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Convergence. I'm your host, John Carasella. and with me for this morning's roundtable are my co-hosts, Mildred Lynn. Hello. Deb.
1: Good
0: morning. And Hi-C. Hello.
2: And this morning I want to talk about the idea that, you know, when the universe closes one door, it opens another. Uh, and, you know, it's it's hard sometimes for us to see the, the good in the bad, but lately it's something that I've been getting used to, uh, to, to searching for and seeing. And I thought maybe to kick it off, uh, I would start with this Chinese proverb that I find so fascinating uh, because it's so simple and yet it seems pretty profound. And it, and it goes something like this. A farmer and his son had a beloved stallion who helped the family earn a living. And one day the horse ran away and their neighbors exclaimed, oh, your horse ran away. What terrible luck. And the farmer replied, Maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. A few days later, the horse returned home, leading a few wild mares back to the farm as well. And the neighbors shouted out, Your horse has returned and brought several horses home with him. What great luck! The farmer replied, Maybe so, maybe not. We'll see. Later that week, the farmer's son was trying to break one of the mares. And she threw him to the ground, breaking his leg. And the villagers cried, Your son broke his leg. What terrible luck. And the farmer replied, Maybe so. Maybe not. We'll see. A few weeks later, soldiers from the National Army marched through town, recruiting all the able-bodied boys for the army. They didn't take the farmer's son, because he had a broken leg. And the friends shouted, Your boy is spared. What tremendous luck. To which the farmer replied, maybe so maybe not we'll see so it's in that in the light of that 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 kind of reciprocal nature of of life uh and fascinating twists and turns of fate that i wanted to bring this topic forward for us to chat about when you think about the universe or the divine or circumstance closing a door uh, I guess a couple of things that I'd like to to uh, investigate with you. Uh what does that feel like initially? And then how do you how do you work that to make it to to try to find the the silver lining to the cloud, so to speak? Any thoughts?
1: Well, I think initially I feel the way probably most people feel that um it sucks. And it's not happy. It's you know. It there's disappointment. There's perhaps fear. There's all kinds of immediate emotion and reaction that goes around something that appears to be unwelcome or unexpected or um, not in the plan that we had for ourselves or not where we thought we would find ourselves at this point in our lives or whatever the situation might be. And I think it's important to allow that, to, to, to allow that natural, real response to be what it is. I don't necessarily think that it's, something that you need to stay in and that you need to create that that does not now become your forever circumstance. But I think it's important to acknowledge and live in that reality for what it is and see what it how the feelings affect you. I'm a fairly passive person. I'm not a particularly reactionary person. Um, so I, I don't freak out or immediately want to fix or respond to circumstances. Um, but I'm not also, I'm also not a particularly Zen individual. Um, there's a certain part of me that rebels against the concept of not having any say in what will be going on in my life. And so there's a little bit of a pushback about, you know, well, this is the circumstance now. And if you just flow with it, some new door will open and you walk through that door and something new will unfold. And that's that's a little too passive for for me um, on some level. There's there's a little bit of a I don't want my life to be Subject to the winds of of chance and circumstance, and some all-seeing power that I have no um, s- direct sense of discussion with. Um, so, you know, the the phrase "when the universe closes one door, it opens another." I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think the universe sometimes closes a door, and then you need to sit in that space for a moment and discover whether there's another door that you wish to walk through. I don't believe that some other door magically opens up for you and that it's in your best interest to just go plowing through it. Mm. Okay. Uh, Mildred Lynn,
2: what do you think? Uh, how does your, what's your first reaction?
3: Well, mine is kind of because usually when something happens, I call it a curveball. My spirit is usually ready. And resilient, but the Mildred human part of me sometimes is not so ready. And so, my challenge is to help Mildred and Mildred's spirit reconcile. The spirit comes from a place of trust, so I know at the end of the day, it's neither good nor bad, it just is. But Mildred may be carrying with her some belief systems or some fears or some hesitancy that makes it a little bit turbulent. To get to that spiritual part of just saying left is right and right is right, so that's where I usually go with it. And and the comical part is, in order to get the two aligned, it usually involves a dash of humility and lots of laughing at myself.
2: Mm. So, so you do you feel a discomfort?
3: I feel an inconvenience because I could be barreling along in one direction. And I also go to the place, a lot of things is where do you put this? I also have trained myself to go to a place and ask, well, what am I missing here? Maybe there's part of the equation that I haven't entertained yet. Hmm. So I try really try to make my playing field as broad as I can. And why do I do that? Because I try to, introduce the concept of perspective. So I, I'd like to be able to go to a place where my perspective is better. And sometimes that involves sitting back and sometimes that involves taking some time or taking some space. And that's how I try to navigate through it.
2: Mm. Yeah. So it, so Deb, sound, it sounds like for you, Deb, there's a at times a a little bit there's a grieving that you're willing to give yourself, right? Whatever the circumstance is, like, okay, this sucks, right? And you sit right. with that for a little bit. Uh and sitting to see if there's another door or whether just staying where you are is given the circumstances, that just it is what it is. And Mildred, you're more a little bit more active in your processing of that.
3: Yeah, I am a little bit more active. Because yeah. that takes me out of the place I think deb alluded to it, she, not comfortable with maybe someone else or something else having control over the mm-hmm. path forward mm-hmm. to move through that quickly that stage. What I explained a little bit earlier is where I need to go, to feel that mm-hmm. i have i'm an, I'm engaged in the process, right, a willing right. participant,
4: mhm,
2: mhm. I see.
0: How about you? Well, certainly when those kind of things happen, they can bring up feelings, whether it's inconvenience or fear uh, or disappointment. Um, And I think that if I think of how to kind of combine what both Deb and Mildred said, that it's important to acknowledge and be willing to sit with whatever emotion or feeling or reaction comes up. But to also maintain a certain lightness around that because we can if we give in to that feeling, then we can give into the heaviness of it and we start to feel very trapped or very stuck or we feel as if everything is out to conspire against us in life, you know, or something like that. I think one word that's important for me to always maintain, um, that helps with that is curiosity. And if we can always retain a sense of curiosity in life, then we can be curious to go down a particular path or pursue a particular goal. And when something happens that causes that door to close, so to speak, when that turn in the road comes from the one that we thought we were going to be going down, instead of getting upset about it, being curious about, well... I wonder why this happened and let's see where this new direction is going to go or let's see where this new thing opening up might be. And sometimes, like Deb said, it's not always that another door is opened for us. We might have to have the curiosity to open other doors and peek through to see what there might be rather than just being fixated on the one that we were going through. And I think where most people get tripped up is because when a door closes, just to use that phrase, a lot of times what I see people do is they immediately start to scramble to figure out how to immediately and almost exactly recreate what it is that just closed,
4: mm-hmm.
0: rather than having the curiosity and the openness to consider something different or something new. Or a different direction. So they try to figure out how to get right back on that same road or how to start recreating that same kind of situation they were just in without looking at it as an opportunity to perhaps make some sort of shift or change uh, in what they were doing or the direction that they were going because this particular moment has occurred. Mm.
2: Uh, does does anybody um you know one thing I haven't heard any of you say is yeah I just go for a for a bottle of bourbon <laughs> when when a door closes uh the the idea that we Sit uh, an a age on we don't so so numbing the the discomfort associated with with uh, with that loss um is not uh not recommended
1: No, I I don't think it's not something that I believe that I would do or wish to do. And I don't believe that I'm not prone to to, to, to taking that alternative. I am not uncomfortable with uncomfortable feelings. So that's it's all part of the experience. and, And I don't believe that it's it's a bad thing to feel upset. Um now I do know that there are instances when people get stuck and are are unable to get themselves out of that and they require some assistance of some sort but numbing that is not ne- necessarily the the assistance that's required.
2: Mm. Yeah, I would have to say that that um the the typical responses is- of either numbing uh or trying to recreate the situation that you that, you know trying to open the door or open a very similar door to the one that was just closed um are exactly the wrong things to do because they don't acknowledge the the whole dynamic the circumstances that have come to uh to to create the situation that you're in Uh, And so, really, for me, it is this curiosity. I think uh, that High C's take on it is one that works for me as well. I've often said to myself, no matter how miserable life is, it's always fascinating. (laughs) And so, I mean, not that life has been miserable, but um, there, everybody has moments where it's really challenging. But it's always been fascinating to me to examine it and to look around. Now, when a door closes a door clearly closes. Like I, I can remember when it was time for me to leave high tech. I, I knew that door was closing. And there really was this feeling of, uh, of deep uncertainty about, about what would be next. And it was, it was challenging to be in that place for the period of time that it took for me to leave high tech. Uh, but it was actually in in, a, in in the end, a really useful place to be feeling the uncomfortable feelings and, um, exploring what they might be telling me about myself and about what I really wanted and what I, what I really didn't want and so on and so forth. So in the looking for the, for the window or looking for a new, a a door that the universe is opening, what do you, what do we do for that? Is is that, uh, what's the typical process for you guys in doing that? Do you How active are you in that process, and and what tools do you use?
3: John, I just wanted to go back to the numbing part and share with the listeners a phrase that really impacted me and drives me in the right direction when I'm dealing with something. And it's the, the wise words that you cry or your body cries. So... Being present with whatever's happened, letting yourself react to it in a healthy way, whether that involves crying or running or shouting or whatever. Because if you try to numb yourself out or suppress it, it will show up in your body in some yeah, other form.
4: Yeah,
2: it's the, the emotional signature is stored in your body until you until you express it out. I guess.
3: Well, that's and I found, and I'm sure everybody can find a phrase like that phrase really worked for me that they can hold on to to anchor themselves as they deal with the curveball.
2: Mhm. Okay. So, when you're when you're looking for the new door for the new opportunity, what's what's that like?
1: Um I again, probably out of all of the four of us, I am the least proactive about this kind of the next step. I probably am the one of us that would be the most quiet and just sort of a wait and see kind of person, um, as opposed to, it's not that I don't have the curiosity that, um, Mildred and, and high C have both, um, suggested and, or alluded to. Um, I am there's, there is curiosity. There's also a, I'm not in a big hurry, I guess, usually. And, I'm not very active about, I don't like forcing things. So I would sit for probably a much longer period of time to see what those paths might be. I would contemplate those paths. I might take a little tiny step or two down one of them, but I'm probably not going to go running down a new path right off the bat.
3: Um, John, what I usually do when I'm confronted with something like that is look for the flow. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: I know the feeling of being in alignment with positive life force energy or nourishing life force energy. So I would quiet myself and do things that would help me reestablish the connection to the flow. Because when I'm present with the flow, and the flow is in a positive place, and I'm in a positive place, I find that clarity presents itself. And the clarity Uh might be waiting. It might be taking action. It might be getting more information. It can be a whole array of things. That's where I go first. I realign my compass. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay. I see.
0: Well, I think that what Deb was saying, she shouldn't necessarily underestimate, because I think that oftentimes people create too much stress and anxiety for themselves trying to figure out what the next step is and make it happen and not let too much time go by and, you know, all of those kind of things, whereas allowing for a little bit of breathing room, allowing for a little bit of time to sit with it and in some ways allow it to come to you because it's not necessarily about creating the door versus being willing and ready to step through the door when it shows itself. And that is perhaps more important of an action than trying to, like Deb said, force it or rush the process. Um, But I also think that one of the keys is to let go of any sort of expectation about what the door should look like or when it should appear or the direction that it should open up for you versus being open and receptive to when and how it does open and where it wants to take you rather than you thinking you know best and you know where it should be or what it should look like and turning down or refusing to even consider other things that may not match what you thought it should or would look like just because that was your expectation or that attempt to recreate what you already had.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. The, the um, setting aside uh, the, uh, this attachment to outcome is kind of the, the way I would, would talk about it in, in shorthand The the Buddhist notion of attachment to outcome Uh, just uh, for me, it's, it's, it's getting to a place of, of very deep presence for what is, and sensing trying to sense in as many ways as nuanced and as as varied as possible what's being offered uh and in i guess for, for me that's kind of how i find the flow that's that's my that's my horse sense leading me to water uh is feeling around in what's being offered you know what is, what's actually available and allowing that to guide me. And I have to say, this is a relatively new sense for me. Uh, Most of my life, I've been a very driven, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to impress my will into the fabric of reality. And I'm finding that this, (laughs) this other way, uh, it seems to be a lot more gentle and, uh, and more respectful of, of the gifts that are, that are being offered the, the uh the doors that are already open that maybe I just haven't seen so um so with that uh I'm excited to invite our listeners to listen to the rest of the show uh we have a great show coming up and it will be about having a more liberated a more liberated and free approach to living less of an agenda and and more receptive so i hope you'll stay tuned for that uh meanwhile i want to thank my co-hosts deb high and mildred lynn for joining me in this conversation and i hope uh all of you out there um m- maybe this uh round table stimulates you to think a little bit about whether it's good luck or bad luck maybe so maybe not we'll see so thanks everybody for joining me
3: thanks john thank have you. a good
1: morning
2: and we'll be right back
1: At Firefly Willow's L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun and enlightening and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable change makers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light.
2: Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carasella. Here's an interesting story that brings two very different experiences together into what's turned out to be a very powerful revelation for me. So, I've been trying to shake loose some old, stuck, white guys-can't-dance energy out of my system. I've occasionally gone to ecstatic dance events like those hosted by Wendy Marie on Sunday mornings in Palo Alto and those hosted at the 418 in Santa Cruz on Tuesday nights. Lately, too, I've been studying contact improv with Daniel Molnar and Raina Satori-Stewart, the founders and leaders of Santa Cruz Contact University. So I'm kind of a noob at this contact improv thing, and while I'm making some good progress under Daniel's and Raina's tutelage, I still have a few major obstacles to success that I think stem from my active principle overdrive setting left over from my high-tech days. And one of them is that there's a fundamental of contact dance that you want to be absolutely sensitive to the other party in the dance. It's not that you can't express yourself too, but there's this magical space in which you are yin at the same time, receptive to, sensitive to, all that your partner is suggesting, expressing, even even asking for. Now, Reyna, who has been on Convergence way back in August of 2012. She was a guest on the show. She said, just the other day, she said, contact improv is like a martial art, but it's actually deeper in some ways. Now, once she said it, it made total sense to me. The demanding part, the deep part of contact dance is that ability to be completely sensitive to another person while at the same time being equipped to express your own interests And how the dance evolves from one moment to the next. In class, she highlighted that being sensitive is the opposite of having an agenda. Having an agenda, she said, limits what you can experience to your side of the equation. And if you think about it, it's true. When you have an agenda, you bear down on or into your experience with your will. This process is the active principle at work, impressing the fabric of reality with your will. And and let's not forget, the fabric of reality is composed not just of raw material, but also of the interests, desires, and circumstances of everyone and everything around you. You don't impress your will into a vacuum or into the void. So, I, and Reina was witnessing myself having an agenda during the dance, and Reina pointed out that I was shutting down possibilities. Possibilities. Agenda. Hmm. I filed that comment away for deeper analysis later, and got back to trying to figure out what to do with my body for the rest of the class. I often feel like I'm the kinesthetically tone-deaf waddling goose trying to dance with a bunch of sinuous, classically trained snakes from the Russian ballet or something. Maybe I'm not actually that bad, and I do think I'm getting better a little. But anyway. Okay, so I've also been in this place spiritually, as I've shared on our two previous shows, where I've been strongly encouraged by my guidance to slow down and not do. This is very difficult for me for some of the same reasons. Driver, Type A, Silicon Valley refugee wanting to be productive, get things done, or at least get things moving along. Fortunately, the guidance, both the carrot side and the stick, have ultimately proven successful and I've managed to slow down quite a bit. Interestingly, I've been experiencing a powerful shift by practicing gratitude. I got tipped off to gratitude in a much deeper way by watching a conversation online between Dr. Brene Brown, who's one of my heroes and Oprah Winfrey. And I want to play for you uh, a snippet from that conversation.
5: You know, Oh my God, this is so huge. Like I made a commitment like Mm -hmm. to everybody. I knew. I said, I will never talk about joy for the rest of my career without talking about gratitude because for 12 years of research I have never interviewed a single person who talks about the capacity to really experience and soften into joy who does not actively practice gratitude but as someone who studies shame and scarcity and fear Mm -hmm. I will tell you that if you ask me what's the most terrifying difficult emotion that we experience as humans Yes. yes I would say joy you would say that the most terrifying is joy? No question. Why? You know, I, I often ask parents, I say, uh, you know, I'll have 5,000 parents or something in an audience, and I'll say, raise your hand if you've ever stood over your child while he or she was sleeping and thought to yourself, I love you like I didn't know was possible. Yeah.
3: yeah. And then in that
5: split second, picture something horrific happening what to What your if child. something happened to you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. So, what is that? You know what that is? What is that? When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, lose our tolerance for vulnerability, yeah, joy becomes foreboding. I'm not going to soften into this moment of joy. Because Because I'm scared. I'm scared it's going to be taken away. The other shoe's going to drop. And so what we do in moments of joyfulness is we try to beat vulnerability to the punch. I interviewed a man who told me, my whole life, I never got too excited, too joyful about anything. I just kind of stayed right in the middle. That way... If things didn't work out, I wasn't devastated. And if they did work out, it was a pleasant surprise. Oh, my goodness. He's, and so many people said, that. he said, in his 60s, he was in a car accident. His wife of 40 years was killed.
1: Uh huh.
5: Wow. And he said, the second I realized that she was gone, the first thing I thought was, I should have leaned harder into those moments of joy. Because mm. that did not protect me from what I feel right now. We're trying, to, we're trying to dress rehearse tragedy so we yes. can beat vulnerability to the punch. Yes, 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 yes. So you, want, so you know what happens? This is what the joyful people do. This is what I learned from them. In those moments where like they're looking at their children or their partner or something great, they get that shudder too. But you know what they do? They don't say, oh, there's that shudder of terror about feeling joyful. I'm going to dress rehearse tragedy. They say, I'm going to practice gratitude. Gratitude is a practice. It is tangible. You can see it. Yeah. It's not an attitude of gratitude.
1: Absolutely. It is a practice. And what I found is that when you actively practice gratitude, where you concentrate on not just thinking about it, but write things down, you go through the day looking for it. You There's go no question. The, You go through the day looking for it.
5: Isn't it amazing? So,
2: now the idea that joy turns into foreboding if we're not willing to be vulnerable is so powerful and resonant. And that gratitude is the solution to the problem. Really amazing. It's a powerful nugget of wisdom for me. So I've been in this place where I'm receiving these amazing gifts, and I I want to be joyful, but it's scary because I have no choice but to I have no choice but to feel vulnerable. I didn't I didn't work for these gifts that have been showing up. They're literally they're gifts, and I don't know how it will all turn out, or whether they'll keep coming, or I'll end up in a a deep struggle of some kind. So I've been practicing gratitude to keep the monsters, the foreboding, at bay. You know, it really works. But one thing that happened as I was practicing gratitude, after my dance lesson where I learned about agenda and its relationship to possibility and limitation something happened that was really beautiful. We all have these things that we're hoping for, desiring, needing, even if it's just food to eat for our next meal. So we're always, or at least very, very often, in some youngish mode where we're striving for something, trying to make something happen, executing on the plan. In short, we have an agenda. Even when we're happy, we have an agenda. Unless we're sleeping or taking a vacation, and even then, not always, we have an agenda. Might be seeking sustenance, shelter, staying healthy, seeking pleasure or reassurance or income. You name it. Look across your day, look carefully at all your moods and habits and activities. There's an agenda. Attached to virtually every one. At least, that's what I've found. Except, except in one situation, I have no agenda. And that's when I'm practicing gratitude. It's all receiving. No active principle. No yearning. No desire for more of anything. There is no ask in gratitude. Gratitude has no agenda. So why is that important? Because, as Raina said, having an agenda puts a limitation on possibilities. When we're in that sweet, oh so sweet spot of pure gratitude, there is no agenda. Which means we're open to any and all the possibilities that the Divine has in store for us. We're not closing off any possibility with our asks. No attachment to outcome because there is no ask. We're not shaping reality with our will. We're really just present to the gifts we already have, like a flower basking in the sun. We're receiving. And that's when the limitless possibilities of the universe can emerge into our reality, descend from heaven, so to speak. So, if you want a shortcut through the treacherous straits of attachment, and desire which fundamentally shape and by shaping restrict what's possible stop asking and to stop asking but still be present to the divine still be in the flow be grateful practice gratitude have no agenda see what happens I can't promise miracles for you but I can say that it seems to work magic for me We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to Convergence with host John Carousella on Firefly Willows LIVE. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show
2: Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host. John Carasella and with me for today's spirited conversation is Firefly Willows host and spectacular person person extraordinaire oh Mild- Mildred Lynn McDonald. She's uh she's a co-founder and co-host here at Firefly Willows LIVE and we love Mildred Lynn so much and there's a reason I wanted to have her on the show today. She has some special wisdom uh that I think you'll find very fascinating. So a little about her, for those of you who haven't listened to her show, Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn. Mildred Lynn's life adventure, which we have to call it a life adventure, has whisked her across North America through the industries of health and fitness, the executive halls of Fortune 50 companies, and into the invigorating landscape of energy medicine and environmental studies. The common thread in all of this eclectic path has been a love of people and a sincere desire to help everyone live their passion, find balance, and experience life fully and completely. Now, there's much more to say about Mildred Lynn, and I'm sure we're going to get to it soon. But, Mildred Lynn, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the show.
3: Really happy to be here, John. Thank you.
2: So, um, you have been in through quite a... Quite an arc. Your your professional life has gone through quite an arc of change and uh, diversity, Uh, and and even it's even more interesting when we contemplate and talk about the fact that you came from a very sort of rural. Rural origins, Cape Breton Island.
3: Mm-hmm. Can
2: you share a little bit about Cape Breton Island?
3: Oh, I'd love to. It's one of my favorite topics. I'll even sing and tap dance if you'll allow me. But <laughs> maybe. maybe we'll save that for later That's in the show. <laughs> All right. Cape Breton Island is located in Nova Scotia, Canada. It's an island shaped like a lobster claw, and it has about 130 or 150 thousand people. A lot of them come from Scottish heritage, although we do have. French and our native peoples there and different nationalities. It's a beautiful place to grow up, primarily because I always say about Cape Breton, the currency in Cape Breton is not money, it's kindness. Mm. So given that type of foundation, when you go out into the world, it colors your perspective. And I'd like to give Cape Breton Island and the people of Cape Breton Island credit for instilling that in me. Mm. And that's served me well in my career through fitness, through high tech, and into the arena that I'm in now, the energy work and the environmental studies.
2: Now, um, but it also came with some challenge that, that your heritage from Cape Breton Island came
3: with some challenges for you. Yes, like everybody's heritage comes with with high points and low points. I found that a lot of emphasis in terms of myself or maybe pressure I put on myself was to fit in.
4: Mm.
3: Because Cape Breton is very clannish. People depend on each other to get through life. And if you choose to be a little bit different, then that could have repercussions
4: (laughs) to put it kindly.
3: (laughs) And people may feel a little bit awkward around you. And then you start feeling awkward about yourself the net net of that is you could really squish down your true purpose or squish down your true perspective or your true personality forsaking yourself for the perceived greater good of the community which as you get older you realize that you're really just robbing the community of the beauty of your own life purpose if that makes any sense
2: mm. yeah sure sure and when you and when you brought yourself into um the more cosmopolitan parts of, of your professional career, did your rural heritage, how was that an impediment for you?
3: Well, it wasn't really an impediment. I wouldn't call it an impediment. Mm. When I went through my conventional corporate career and I stayed in tune with what society expected, it was fine externally. The problem was internally. Ah, okay. So I basically was giving more credence to the external voices than my internal voice. I was quieting my internal voice. And many people will find this, that even quieting your internal voice, you're still able to function
4: Mm. within
3: the rules as long as you're conforming with society. Right. As you get older, you start to feel, oh my heavens, I'm running out of time. But you don't know what you're running out of time for.
2: Right, because what have you been doing all this time? Like, one would think that you were living your life, so running out of time is sort of a... What does that mean?
3: Well, for me personally, I felt an emptiness. Hmm. I felt deep inside of me that... I was not quite on course, although I was following all the rules of society and I was experiencing success in a conventional manner. Mm -hmm. I found inside I wasn't fulfilled. It was almost as if on the TV commercials they tell you, go out for a romantic dinner, and you go out for a romantic dinner and you're bored out of your mind.
4: Mm. It's
3: not that you're bored with your partner. It's not that you're bored with yourself. But the romantic dinner is not what jingles your bells.
4: Right, right. So,
3: what happened with me on my journey, and I'm sure it's happened with other people, is I started to question who makes the conventional rules? Why are these external voices so much more important than my internal voice? Mm-hmm, right. And I did have flashes, and this is kind of comical when I did shed the external voice and listen to my internal voice, I had feelings. About mm-hmm. that, feelings mm-hmm. of fulfillment, the feelings of happiness, feelings of optimism.
2: So you, so when you listen to your internal voice, you got a very different. You had a very different internal experience.
3: I had a different internal experience, and it was a bit jolting. Oh, was it? Because I had nothing to bounce it off of. Mm. When I was looking at the external world and what was rewarded and what was acceptable and then I listened to my internal voice, I was out there.
2: Ah, so, yeah. so it was quite a distance between the, the external validation and what your internal voice was was
3: Oh, many miles many, many miles, many, many miles.
4: Now, many standard <laughs> from the mean. Okay, good, good. Right.
3: So it wasn't a small leap. It was a huge leap for me to, it was almost like polar opposites. And then you start to question, well, where is this internal voice coming from? Yeah. And you don't always know right up front. You do know it's truth, though. That's what I found with myself. I knew that although this internal voice was not something that was conventional, or the internal voice always guided me to to express myself in a different way Mm -hmm. than might have been comfortable for people, I had a deep knowing that it was speaking the truth, and the other comical part of it is I knew that it wasn't going away. This <laughs> eternal voice was there for the long run.
0: Okay. Yeah. So
2: um, you knew it wasn't going away.
3: Oh yeah, and yeah. and
2: and that's I think it's pretty easy for for us to to connect with that experience of something that is going to be annoying or not. It, you know, it's it's there and it's not going away. How did you know it was telling you the truth?
3: Well, that's a really good question, John. It goes back to feeling fulfilled, and it mm-hmm. goes back to feeling content, and it goes back to feeling a connection. Remember earlier I said I felt I had all the external trappings of success. Right. There seemed to be an emptiness, and there seemed to be a feeling of running out of time, an awareness. Mm-hmm. So whether it was... I came down to this. Whether... I knew it was true or not, became less important. Right. I decided to go with the feelings. And the other thing that hatched out of that, just like a little chicken hatching is, I came to the conclusion that the last person I wanted to fight with was myself. Mm. So That's,
2: That's pretty profound.
3: On that journey, I had to choose the inner voice. Because the inner voice and myself were not in conflict. And I guess I could say that would be the fourth thing that I learned. When I was listening to my inner voice, I had inner peace and I had no sense of conflict. The conflict came, the conflict with myself came, is when I decided not to listen to the inner voice and I went along with society and the rules and the beliefs and different benchmarks.
2: So in a way, what you're describing is there's no downside to listening to your inner voice. There, or for your experience was that there was no downside, or was there? There was. What was the downside? There was, there was a big downside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, so much for that <laughs> Yeah.
3: John, you were doing so well. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes that
2: happens on these shows. It doesn't always go as planned.
3: The, da- <laughs> the downside was I had to put a stake in the ground, and I had to decide to be true to myself, even if I was shunned. Ah. By people I cared about,
4: Ooh, yeah. even
3: if I had to leave what was conventional and accept it. Mm-hmm. And that took a lot of courage, and it took a lot of trust, and it took a lot of time.
2: It took courage, trust, and time.
3: Mm-hmm. I needed to, once I made the decision to listen to my own voice, I needed to grow into my own voice. I needed to court my own voice. Mm-hmm. I needed to learn how to work with it. Right. I needed to learn. This was a very big thing, also. I needed to get rid of any negative self-speak I had and replace it with something else. And
2: how did you. uh, How long did that take? (laughs) I think all of us listening would like Like, to know. (laughs) Luckily,
3: I'm a Leo. Oh, right.
2: (laughs) And we know about that from our roundtable discussion. (laughs)
3: No, I'm only I'm only teasing, but I'm not. <laughs> that didn't take that didn't take too long because I had a plan on how to do that mm-hmm. and what it involves. And this would be for our listeners. This is the path that I took or, or chose to take for their consideration. I really decided to observe myself and observe when I opened the door for negative speak to come into the room. Mm-hmm. So the first step is observe yourself. And when you're observing yourself letting negativity or negativity about yourself come in the room, then you get to make a choice. And the choice that you can make is to replace that vibration with something more nurturing and loving.
2: And how how does that work? Not, like, how effect, How efficient is that?
3: It is very efficient. At least it was was for me, because what it came down to when you were saying, like people would like to hear about this, is challenging yourself. Mm. So challenging yourself, I am not good enough. Then I would say to myself, well, who said that? Back that up. Not good enough for what? So I would really play the devil's advocate for myself and with myself. Mm. And it wasn't always pretty. And it wasn't always easy. But I did find that I retrained myself.
2: So, did you ever? I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Did you ever feel like you would be glossing over real valuable criticism, valuable self criticism in stopping your negative talk?
3: Well, I think the nature of negative talk is non productive. That's different than reality and providing a healthy opportunity for yourself to improve. Okay. So, for me saying I'm not good enough, I don't see how that can help anybody telling themselves that they're not good enough. Right. Okay. What, what does that give you? How does that nurture you? How does that make you strive for something else?
2: So, what would be, what would be an example of constructive criticism versus negative self-talk?
3: Well, negative self-talk would be, I'm not good enough, and I just already went through some challenging questions. I would replace that with, I'm learning, I'm growing. Right. Attitude is more important than X. Mm-hmm. I've set my intention. So right. it would be simply raising the vibration to create a space so that you're not operating from a fear perspective or something that's taking your life force energy away. For example, there's things that nourish you and there's things that drain you. Right. Now, if our listeners, and and yourself and myself, if I sat here and I said, I'm not good enough. I don't find that really empowering. That's not supporting my positive life force energy. Mm. If I choose to say, well, I'm learning, I'm growing, I feel more optimistic about that. I feel my life force energy being supported.
2: Right. I would encourage our listeners to to really soak into this just for a minute, because I felt, I felt the wave of the uplift in vibration. And you know, we talk in energy work. We talk about vibration a lot, this, um, and it's kind of hard to put your finger on. But I think Mildred Lynn gave us a really good and visceral example of what that means. The difference between I'm not good enough and how that actually, where where you feel that in your body, and I'm learning. It's like, it's like a flower that has the opportunity to open, given, being given sunlight to help it open, as opposed to a flower that has the the potential for opening that is put in a put under a box because it hasn't opened yet, right? And I think that that really does feel like a a kind of a vibration, a vibe, a groove, if you will that we can all relate to. You know, it's one thing to feel to be out in the sunshine, and it's another thing to be stuck in your room, right? And that's what we mean by raising the vibration, that that trans that transitional feeling. So thank you for that. It's very nice. You're welcome. Okay, so um, so negative self-talk is fundamentally, it's fundamentally never constructive, but it doesn't mean that you don't, that you don't examine your uh, capacities and and, com- and and register them against what, where you'd like to be.
3: Yeah, so if you chose to say, I'm learning, I'm growing, then the next thing I would do is I'd say, what am I learning? What areas am I growing in? What areas would I like to grow in? So that for me is where the productive opportunity to strive, improve, reach Mm-hmm. Our, our natural ability as humans to reach beyond our grasp so to speak right which and and, mean?
2: and sort of, so and that that sets, sets the that paints the picture that you can then that is your a guideline for you to grow into
4: exactly yeah. yeah
2: okay and and what makes that hard what makes it hard to to paint the vision and what makes it hard to grow into the vision
3: From my experience, what I experienced for myself is when you are into conformity, Mm -hmm. when you are not listening to your inner voice, there is a familiarity with conformity. There is a safeness there. There's a security there. There's boundaries there. There's understood agreements and expectations there. So there's a lot of known Known variables.
4: Mm.
3: When you start to strip those known variables away, sometimes you feel very naked and exposed.
2: And I imagine also, because uh, this has sort of been my experience, is you. I, I also feel a sense of well, I'll call it vertigo. You know, like free fall. Mm-hmm. Like a, like I, I because because I've stripped away my uh, my points of reference. It's like being dropped into a space that is vastly larger and my typical touchstones I've consciously chosen to discard and there's a period where I'm trying to find new ones and that feels a little bit like falling.
4: mm
2: mm-hmm and and if that's been your experience what what was your what did you do about that? I
3: was very scared, <laughs> very scared. I, I think I went into terror, <laughs> maybe a bit of panic and anxiety mm. It was all so new to me. What it forced me to do when you're sitting there with yourself and you're so vulnerable and you're so looking for a compass yeah. to help yeah. you make sense of things, you have a choice. To flounder as long as you want to flounder in that state of limbo, what starts to become really clear is that you go inside,
2: and that becomes
3: your benchmark. So
2: here's this is interesting because one of the things that people I suspect people often do when they when they decide to to take that leap Mm
4: -hmm.
2: is then they they place they look for touchstones in, for example, organized religion Mm -hmm. or a spiritual guru or something like that. And you're not talking about doing that.
3: No. In fact, one other thing that I would offer for for people to think about is that saying, I'm the expert of me. If you look at yourself as as an energy body on the earth and you have the opportunity to filter everything, So number one, you have to keep your filter clean or choose to make your filter clean. But if you choose to buy into that representation, then everything is for your consideration.
2: So you don't have to constrain yourself to a particular description of
3: compass. No, and what I do with people or situations that may or may not have something to offer. I, for people, I would look at them as a source of inspiration, mm-hmm. perhaps a role model. So when you're in that stage where you're breaking away from conformity, why not look to people or organizations that have broken away in a healthy way and look at them as a source of inspiration?
2: But not necessarily as a source of,
3: of truth. No, because your your truth from my experience, exists within you. Right, right. And that's where you're going to find it. Mm -hmm. That also involves trusting your connection with your higher self. Another thing I did on my path was I made a promise to myself. I did two more things. I made a promise to myself that my higher self would never let me down. I might not understand it at the time. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't have challenges in my life I needed to anchor myself somewhere, Mm. so I said, I believe I have a soul. I'm an aspect of my soul on the earth right now experiencing the joy of being alive. That aspect of me, will, the soul part will never let me down. Mm. So that's going to be my anchor point. I'm going to keep that connection Mm. really clear. Mm -hmm. And then when I was choosing to listen to my inner voice, I said to the universe, universe, I will follow the inner voice. On three conditions. My first condition is that I always use my gifts in integrity, and if I have gifts that I'm not using in integrity, I ask for them to be taken away, because I don't want that responsibility.
4: That's that's bold. Yes. Yeah, it's good.
3: The second thing is, universe, I always want to be with interesting people, people who make me laugh, people who are alive and enjoy life. I ask for these people along my path. That's the second thing. And then the third thing I asked for from the universe was to help me balance whatever gifts I have with my life experience in my inner self. So oh. I requested balance.
2: That's beautiful.
3: Yeah, and yeah. and bold. I don't know where where I got the idea that I could even ask for these things at this point. Hmm. But I did. <laughs> and it helped. You know how you were talking about floundering, about um, hmm. looking for benchmarks? Hmm. These became my new benchmarks,
2: and they're all internally generated. And
3: they're all internal, yes. And,
2: and they they sort of have a gyroscopic effect of keeping you aligned.
3: Yes, and my internal teddy bear. That's what I hold on to. <laughs> okay. All
2: right. Well, I, on that note, I think we let's take a short break, and then we would come back. I want to talk a little bit more about the internal teddy bear and about this process of establishing. Uh, a rapport uh, of trust and almost like a like a bargain, like a contract with your with your inner voice. So uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back.
1: A personal tarot reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Hi C is a professional tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over ten years experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal Tarot reading, contact Hi-C at tarotbyhi-c.net or email him at hic at fireflywillows.com.
2: Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carousella. and joining me for today's Spirited Conversation is Mildred Lynn McDonald, host of Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn, and author of an extraordinary personal life, <laughs> 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 and, and we're delighted to to be sharing uh, and hearing Mildred Lynn's wisdom. Um, and when we when we took our our break, you had told us about your internal teddy bear. Yes,
3: and the yes. The, the,
2: the essentially the deal that you that you struck with your inner voice.
3: And I'd be happy to share that so, again yeah, if you'd just, like.
2: Yeah, run this run us through the 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 three or four pieces that were. The, essential
3: to that? Sure. Made an agreement with my inner self that I would listen to my inner voice with three conditions. The first condition being if I ever used my gifts out of integrity, that my gifts would be taken from me because I didn't really want the responsibility of using them out of integrity. So that was the first agreement I made with the universe. The second agreement was that I would always be interacting with fun and happy and interesting people along the path. And the third was that I would be able to maintain and find balance in my life, balance handling my gifts, handling people, handling the path, so that everything would support my inner voice in moving forward. So
2: so that one is kind of like making it real.
3: Right. Making making it real, yeah. And I also observed how many people's lives were out of balance. So it seemed to me that you could have all the success in the world or all of this or all of that, but if you didn't have balance, eventually your health, your mental or physical health, took a toll. Mm. That made an impression on me. So I knew that if I was going to give my all, move forward on my path, listen to my inner voice... I needed to have the wherewithal to be present with that and be able to manage it.
2: Right. And and the other the other interesting piece, well, they're, all three of them are interesting, but um, did you find that it took courage to say, take it away if I'm not using it in integrity?
3: It was a huge relief. It was wasn't relief. anything to do with courage. I knew deep in my heart that if I ever did anything to hurt myself or to hurt others, I would find that a great burden to carry. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted to be in integrity with my soul and my purpose. So that's where that one came from. So if you were going to ask me, what did that feel like? I'd have to say say it, was a, it felt like a relief saying that number one, because that removes that huge responsibility. Because in the work that I do now, the energy work that I do now, I have the honor of going into a person's life force energy with their permission. It is a sacred space. And I needed to make sure that I would always be pure and my filter would be clean when I'm in that space.
4: Right, right.
3: If you are out of integrity, that means your filter is not clean. Mm -hmm. And the interaction that you're having with a person in that sacred space, that place of trust,
2: Miscolored by the dirtiness in your filter.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: And that's and that is a that is actually an unpleasant feeling, right? To have to to be uh to have someone place their trust in you. Yes. And not be confident that you're able to operate your your gifts with without causing damage.
3: Yeah, and you also not only is a person putting their trust in you, but you are putting trust in yourself.
4: Mm,
2: right.
3: So you're also letting yourself down.
2: Interesting. So, um, so there's two there's two pieces to that. One is that you have to have a discipline to keep your filter clean. And the other is that you have to figure out what to do if you're if you're in a situation and your filter's not clean, but you're being but but in the situation you're actually trying to help somebody.
3: Yes. Well, what I find for myself is before I go into a situation where I'm providing a perspective for someone's consideration, because everything to me is a perspective for someone's consideration, mm-hmm. I always need to connect with my inner voice and make sure that the it's solid. If it's not solid, I don't have any business being anywhere near anybody else until I... Fix my own business
2: so that's a that's a pretty um pretty fundamental uh, constraint on someone's practice right if you're not in perfect integrity, you can't practice
3: well, my perspective, and once again it's for consideration, mm-hmm. how I choose to move forward is in integrity now that's what i need to be fulfilled and happy someone else might have a different formula or equation altogether right that would be their business not my business
2: right yeah what 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 it what it does though is it compels you to craft the discipline to be in integrity all the time
3: yes and the other thing i learned as i broke away from conventionality was that if you are doing this type of work, it's not a 9-to-5 thing. You have to live it. So your work and your life start to intertwine like a strand of DNA or RNA. Mm. And I always say with my energy and with any intuitive gift that I have, which basically is best explained by, uh, maybe we could look at it like a radar you know, an expanded field, just more sensitive to certain information, is that I'm always living in two worlds. I'm always living in the physical world, and I'm always living in that expanded, sensitive world. Mm-hmm. And listeners will find this in their own life. As you start living what your inner voice is guiding, those two worlds come together. And you're walk, always walking in both.
2: So they resolve into one picture.
3: Yeah, so you don't really have a career, you know. These labels that you put on different aspects of your life start to fade away because they become less and less relevant to your reality.
2: And 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 so, what does your reality look like? It just looks like a seamless.
3: It looks like being. It's a sense of being rather than a sense of doing. And when you're being, you're very present and in the moment.
2: That's uh. You know, we often don't get. Um, we hear that a lot. You know, the, as we as as folks investigate and try to cultivate um, awareness and enlightenment, and uh, try to live happier lives, we're often admonished to to be as opposed to do. And even Ram Dass, like back in the late '60s, right, his book was "Be Here Now."
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So it is it is. It's about being present, but it's also about being without doing, and yet we do do things. We do. There are verbs in our lives besides the verb to be.
3: Well, my being state is very active. Like I'm a very active, alive person.
2: So you're doing things.
3: Well, I don't look at it as in the context of being and doing. I look at my being. Is a noun and a verb so, together.
2: So, is the, is the the doing that you say you don't that you 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 don't participate in anymore. Is it a doing? Is it a goal oriented doing that you have that you have relinquished, or is it a or is it doing achievement? What, what is it that you've
3: relinquished? That would be it. That would be it. It would be doing. With any qualifiers or conditions or comparisons attached to it.
2: So no need to no need to accomplish.
3: No need to accomplish, but the caveat is in this st- state of being doing mm-hmm. together. Right. I have accomplished more than I ever have before. I start listening to my inner voice.
2: Right. So so it's uh, not it not being attached to accomplishing but allowing that those accomplishments might come along because you're participating by listening to your inner voice
3: to me it's an unfolding unfolding yeah so i'm listening to my inner voice and i'm being using it as a noun and a verb and the active part of the being is an expression it's it's a physical expression Mm-hmm. That manifests in the earth of this state. And the reward, the reward, th- th- what you get back from that is a sense of inner peace, of fulfillment, of contentment, of feeling full, that this is enough.
2: That's. Okay, so. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing that many of our listeners want to hear a little bit more about that.
3: I thought you were going to say many of our listeners are completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might be another reason why they want to hear more. <laughs> that I've just gone running into the woods. <laughs> You're saying, Mildred, come back, come back. <laughs> uh, the,
2: the, um, the expression of yourself into the world, as being the thing you quote unquote do right, tell us a little bit more about what what you mean by that and and what you experience how you do that, how that happens
3: I feel it's a natural progression it's almost like a switch turns on, and things that you thought about before, so your thought patterns change. Mm-hmm things that you noticed or didn't notice before. So your perceptions changed. And once you have your thought patterns and your perceptions change, then your belief systems start to change. And what I would say is your belief start, systems start to loosen up. Like if you have on a corset, mm. a corset, I guess you'd call it, I right, like out right. Abbey, you have a corset. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, all of the strings are becoming loose. And you find that your breathing becomes less encumbered and your breathing starts to be in, in conjunction with the breathing of the, the earth. Mm. And you were talking to me before about yoga breathing. We had a little mm. talk right. about that. So your life, the noun part and the verb part of the being, breathes in and breathes out in context of the bigger picture of the earth breathing in and breathing out. And that's how you're showing up.
2: And and it's that easy. I don't I, you know, know if it's
3: a question of being easy or not easy. <laughs> right, I don't okay. know if, if that's the arena that this all operates in. But it's tr- it is true. It is right. true. You feel c- connected to yourself, to nature, to everything. Yeah. And uh, obviously, it's it's difficult to put into words. Yeah. It's difficult to capture in words. Oh, right. It is a progression mm-hmm. of going back to yourself.
2: Of it's, letting go of obstructions and and, and uh, things that obscure.
3: Yeah, it's almost as if you feel like you're going on a journey, but when you open the last door, there you are. So you're going on a journey to yourself.
4: Yeah, yeah.
2: So yeah.
3: I always say it's growing into yourself. Hmm.
2: Yeah, it, when, I, when I've tried to articulate it, I... I tend to say something like you know you don't you know the garden it doesn't need you to plant anything it just needs you to pull weeds <laughs> 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 because most of the things that are in your way that are in the way of, of the flowering and the blooming of 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 what you already have are just the weeds right mm-hmm. it's the, the belief systems the the uh, the conscious and unconscious agreements that you've made about uh, who you are and, and what life is like, and so on and so forth. And if you just, if you can just cleanse those away, if you can just pull those weeds, uh, the garden blooms because everything that you need is already in you.
3: And you do experience a tremendous sense of freedom. Also.
2: Okay, so limitation and freedom. Um, the limitations are... So what's been your your walk with respect to limitations?
3: Well, one limitation that I've had is that my, I have a very enthusiastic spirit. Mm. And a lot of the time I would forget I have a body. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so one right. my, and this goes back to my agreement of balance. So one of my limitations has been a physical limitation. Mm. I've had to learn that... In fact, I wake up every morning and I'm always surprised that I'm in a body. Is that right? I
4: mean, are
2: you literally surprised?
3: I'm literally surprised, yeah. Because I find that I have had to learn, and it was a really good learning, that my spirit can only experience the earth to the degree my body is able to experience it at the same time. And it was if I wanted to give a little analogy, it's like my spirit was in t- one time zone, and my body was in another., oh, okay. so I had to bring those together so with that so that would be an example of a limitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, my belief system that I had to change is that I always thought that I had a delicate health., oh. that's what I had bought into. I thought, well, okay, I'm a delicate flower, mm-hmm. and as I moved along the path, I realized well actually i'm I'm not delicate. I have really good stamina, I have really good this, I have really good that. So that would be an example of a belief that, as they say, in coaching didn't serve me, and I had an opportunity to develop a new belief based on the truth and reality of my inner voice. Mm. I believed that I had the, the body that was perfect to live the life that my soul wanted me to live. No more, no less. I came down with the goodies. I came in with the goodies. Let's use the goodies.
2: So, you know, it seems like such a, it seems like such a trivial, um, almost facile way of describing that you have everything that you need because that's what you came in with, and, and that was the program. Uh, do, do you have any insight on why we don't? carry that with us, that that simple, obvious truth?
3: Well, I know for myself that when I was a little girl, little, little girl, I would see people as white light. And I was seeing their energy. Mm. But no one else talked about it. And I had, I didn't hear anybody talking about, this one is in the room and I can see their white light. So what I really feel, and we're like little sponges. So, I feel that as we start to interact with society, we start to adopt society's perspectives or conformity. Mm. And we lose that inner knowing as we disconnect. To the, we lose our inner knowing to the degree we disconnect with our inner voice because you're replacing your inner voice with, with an external, external voice, mm-hmm. which may or may not be in alignment with your highest purpose.
2: Right. And, wh- so, and why would it be?
3: Yes, and I wouldn't want people to feel that everything that society tells us is not beneficial. But mm-hmm. it's, it's there's a range, right? Good, bad, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. The trick is finding what resonates with your song, with your harmony, mm-hmm. and trusting that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> trust is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Trust is a big, deal. and that's one of the reasons why you set that, set up that little agreement with your inner voice. Right, so that you could trust it.
3: Yeah, and there were many times, Strata. This is also the funny part. There were many times when my inner voice was telling me to go left, and everything that presented presented itself to me in the physical world was saying go right. So, what do you do with that?
4: Yeah, what do you do with that? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, give us the goods.
3: That's a tricky one. (laughs) That takes time and maturity to learn how to deal with. Mm. And like anything, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Starting going, off.
2: Going left, listening to your inner voice in spite of the
4: external.
3: Oh, my heavens, yes. That one is a real challenge. That gives you a run for your money, mm. that particular one there. So what I would do, you, you come down to the fork in the road. There's no getting away with it. And if you choose your inner voice and it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any reason logically to choose your inner voice, then it's really up to you. To wait and see.
2: Uh, delay the delay the decision. No,
3: or? delay delay. You you have delay to be patient. Yeah, and understand that just because you want the answer right now, right on the moment, that may not necessarily be in your highest interest. So sometimes you have to wait. I've waited years to find out why you, X Y. Wh- and Z.
2: Why you were supposed to go left?
3: Yes, and mm-hmm. I have never been let down.
2: Mm-hmm. And how, how long have you been doing this?
3: 500 years. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good track record.
4: <laughs> we can go
3: with that. Yeah. And, and where did I get the strength, or where did I get the conviction? Because I had a conversation with myself, and I said, if this inner voice stuff doesn't exist, mm-hmm. then I really don't see any reason for me to exist. Huh. So I needed something to hold on to. And that's what I chose to hold on to. For example, if this is not the way the universe operates, then I'm really not interested in In operating in in that type of universe. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, that's a a really bold, um, challenging decision to make. Was Mm -hmm. that made out of a sense of desperation? Was that made out of a sense of frustration? Was it made out of a sense of... Wow. wow,
3: It was made out of a sense of, I need somewhere to put this.
2: I need somewhere to put this.
3: I need a context. Right. I need a philosophy for my life. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not fitting into the squares.
4: Right, right, And the right. squares okay. don't
3: make me happy. So that the gift in that was I had the opportunity to develop my own philosophy. Right. And you know, I'm not saying it's a 100%. It makes sense to me. Oh, yeah,
4: right, right.
3: And right. that's pretty well all, all I'll need. Who will know until we get, we well, transition? And
2: I think this is actually a really valuable uh, point to emphasize for everyone, and that is that anybody's spiritual walk, anybody's spiritual path or the disciplines that they cultivate and develop and, and follow are only guaranteed... And even that only barely guaranteed to be appropriate for that person, right? So anything that we share is literally for your consideration mm-hmm. as opposed to a truth.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And the degree to which it becomes a truth for someone is really, this is the process of gnosis, right? This is the process of coming to know yourself and your walk and being aware of the consequences of your actions and your choices in the world and not just saying, oh, this is what someone told me works.
3: Yeah. And as you, as you develop your own path, as it is in integrity, as you listen to your inner voice, you do become more kind. You do become more compassionate. You do become less judgmental. You do become more patient. You become more accepting.
2: Now, why do you think that is?
3: Because I think that's the essence of what the inner voice is. Hmm. I think that's where the inner voice comes from, and that these vibrations are expressions of that inner voice. Mm -hmm. And the more you tap into the inner voice, the more you're exposing yourself to these qualities, I guess we could call them. So
2: the intrinsic, untarnished qualities of the self, of of the soul, have an opportunity to express themselves through the body when you... Pay attention to the inner voice.
3: I that's what I believe. Yeah, that's yeah. what I've experienced. It's more than that. It's more that's than what you my, believe. Yes, what and that's living. how I guess the ultimate thing is. It's how life makes sense to me. How I choose to walk my path and mm-hmm. understanding that, as I say, it's not a dress rehearsal. It's <laughs> I choose to put my time and attention. Right, right,
2: yeah. right. And you, you, and you feel a kind of freedom now.
3: A Tremendous sense of freedom.
2: And does that uh, did that scare you at first? Did you did, did you have an overabundance of freedom that kind of freaked you out, or did it just gradually emerge in a way that you could absorb it and? and I it...
3: have. This may sound odd, but as you asked, I have a healthy respect for freedom. It's a healthy respect.
4: Yeah.
3: I don't take it for granted. Hm. I believe that this is not something I consciously pursued. I didn't sit down with myself saying, "I'm going to listen to my inner voice," and the end result is freedom. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if these variables came together, like one plus one equals three rather than two, and the and freedom is what
2: is, is the harvest. Manifested, yeah. So, do you, so would would you say freedom is your harvest?
3: Freedom is my harvest. Yes.
2: And and do you like freedom?
3: I wouldn't have it any other way. I love <laughs> Well, I think I had mentioned before, long ago when I first left the high-tech industry, I walked into a mind-body-spirit bookstore and I saw this card, and there was a quote by Emily Dickinson. It said, Hi, I'm nobody. Are you nobody too? Mm-hmm. And that really hit me, and at the time I didn't understand it. I do understand it now. It's if you are nobody, you can be anybody. And that's the type of freedom that I'm talking about. Mm. That's the type of freedom I believe she was talking about. Nice. Yeah. Great.
2: Great. So we're just about out of time. Is there? Are there any last thoughts or a, a summary summary statement you'd like to make? <laughs> <for> <laughs> you our to sing a
1: song? No.
3: <laughs> Kumbaya. <laughs> no, that's a big no. John's dying now. Because <laughs> he tells I'll actually do yes, it. she will. Don't encourage her, folks. Don't encourage,
4: encourage
3: her. her. Don't encourage her. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel that what, I, what I'd what i like to share with people is that to give your inner voice a chance. As John Lennon, that song, give peace, all we're saying is give peace a chance. Mm-hmm. Well, all I'm saying is give your inner voice a chance. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that is quantifiable. So go easy on yourself. And also to really embrace and enjoy and see the beauty in the process.
2: I think that's really beautiful and really valuable. See the beauty in the process. Because it does take time.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And life does throw you curveballs.
3: Definitely. And when life throws you the curveball, as you cultivate your inner voice, you're going to find that you're able to handle and navigate through that curveball energy a lot easier
2: beautiful. Yeah. Great. Okay, so if folks want to get to know you and your work a little bit more, a little bit better, how what's the best how can we direct them to you?
3: I have a new blog. Oh, it's okay. called Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn. So mm-hmm. just go to www.healingconversationswithmildredlynn.com and there's a section and it's called contact and I would love to hear people's perspectives And their stories. Mm. I'd love to hear their stories about listening to their inner voice. I find it fascinating. Great.
2: So www.healingconversationswithmildredlyn.com, And that's how you can get to Mildred Lynn. And of course, be sure to listen to Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn on Firefly Willow's (laughs) LIV, the first Sunday of every month.
3: At 1030 a.m. At 1030 a.m. Pacific. Pacific.
2: (laughs) Mildred Lynn, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
3: And thank you very much, John.
2: All right. And we'll be right back.
1: Yes, we've added to our lineup of lively, thought-provoking shows. But don't forget our original Sunday morning lineup at 1030 AM. Join us for Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn McDonald every first Sunday. Revolution with Heise Ludmers every second Sunday. Convergence with John Carousella every third Sunday. And our popular on-air call-in show, the fourth Sunday of every month. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows L-I-V-E.
2: Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carousella. So we've talked about gratitude and the way that gratitude sets aside agenda. We've talked about being open to what the universe is providing, and looking twice at curveballs that come our way. Maybe that for every door that closes, there's a good reason and an even better alternative. And we've talked about the freedom that comes with releasing the doing part of our psyche, the part that has a goal, that part of us that declares some particular thing must be done a certain way. We could call that our, our driver self or our career energy or many other possibilities. Or we could just call it our ego operating from a place of limited belief and trust. From Matthew 6.28 Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God doth so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and to-morrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So says my wise brother, Jesus of Nazareth. So let's do just that. Let's consider the lilies of the field. Have you looked at them lately? I have had the privilege of living for the last few months in a home that is surrounded by an extraordinary array of plantings in a beautiful garden. And the blooms of the camillas, the azaleas, the lilies, the oranges, kumquats, and bougainvillea, and many more I can't even name, have been glorious. Now, as I've shared before, one of the things that I can say with a kind of internal certainty, the kind where I know my inner voice speaks undeniable truth, Is that I'm a gardener. And so the bounty that surrounds me has been an unexpected and unearned gift. I have not lifted a finger of labor to cultivate these flowers and these plants. And here they are, shining, blooming, and smiling at me every morning when I wake up and peek out the window. And they greet me when I walk out the door to enjoy the fresh air, the sunshine. The blessed rain, whatever's happening out there. Their luxurious scent fills the air. Their color splashes. Their soft textures beckon. One of the things I know for sure, one one other thing that I know for sure, is that love has a powerful place in a garden. It's a mystery, but it's not something I doubt. I know for sure that if I love a plant with my heart and soul, it responds in a positive way. Flower, fruit, vigor, verdancy, plants respond to love. So, as I've been alone over these past few months, experiencing this state of being without a mate for the first time in nearly 30 years, I've found that there's an extra pool of love and affection that's in reserve waiting, as they say in logistics, to be deployed. And as I've also shared in the past few shows, I've been guided by the Divine Feminine to be more at rest than typical, more yin than yang. What's been happening is that as I've been more yin, I've also been sensing more of the yin of the world. I've been developing a relationship with the Divine Feminine, the the goddess, we can say, that is increasingly deep and intimate and sweet, increasingly familiar. In fact, I've been experiencing the love of God in ways that I've never felt it before. For as long as I've referred to the divine boss as God, I've had an intellectual respect, appreciation, and understanding of divine love. But honestly, I've never deeply felt it. But now, as I've shifted over to a feminine perspective on the divine, something deep and magical has happened. I feel the love of the divine. I feel it. I feel loved. It's precious and sweet and unexpected and thrilling. And as I've been sensing more yin out there and developing this relationship with the goddess and feeling her love for me, I've been loving her back. Again, for the first time, I actually feel a deep, sophisticated love that's not just intellectual and abstract coming from me out to her. And as I say, I'm seeing her everywhere. The upshot is that I'm walking around loving the creation in ways that are so incredibly deep and and visceral that I'm often surprised by the power of this feeling. I've always been able to be in awe of beauty. But now I'm in, in awe and also giving love to it, like a lover. When I pluck flowers to share with a friend or Just to adorn my car, which, by the way, I'm also finding ways to love deeply. Or my kitchen table or my altar. I'm also loving the flower and the plant that has offered them to me. I'm loving them because I see in them their divine essence. And the divine essence I see is the goddess. Why am I so focused on the goddess? I don't know, I I could speculate it might have something to do with me being a bachelor again. Perhaps I need a feminine destination for my love. Or, Or maybe it's something else. Certainly, I'm receiving big benefits from this new capacity to not just receive and feel love from the divine, but also to give it. Now, to love the divine is to find the capacity to love everything and everyone wherever you can see or sense their divine essence. Because if you can sense their divine essence and you're loving the divine, you can love that part of them. And a garden responds to love. This place, this planet we live on is a garden. I've said this before, as have others much wiser than me. We reap what we sow. And here I am, pouring love out into the garden, into the divine feminine, wherever I see her. So, being the curious fellow that I am, I began to explore what that might mean. What's what's happening here? in addition to the the beauty and awe and sweetness of it all. Well, I have to say much of what's happening seems to be rooted in gratitude, so there's no agenda, just the joy of appreciating the beauty and tenderness of the garden. And also, what I'm loving is the Divine Feminine, the receptive principle, the Goddess. By definition, the Divine Feminine, in her purest form, is not active. She's receptive. And sort of at a deeper level, that means she's vulnerable. She's willing to be completely vulnerable because that is Tao and even then, the Tao there's that little white circle of Yang in the black field that is Yin but I guess what I'm saying is what I'm experiencing is this, this very powerful sense that I'm loving what is vulnerable now what happens when one loves what is vulnerable without an agenda what happens when you love the divine feminine unconditionally She soaks it up and becomes ever more radiant. She blooms. Not a drop of love is wasted. Love is the fabric on which the universe is made and the blood that runs through its veins. It's what powers the universe. God is love. Goddess is love. Of course. And for the first time in my life, I am understanding, witnessing and feeling the effects of giving my love to the divine. When I would try to love God, I would feel small, inadequate, powerless. What could I possibly have to offer an all-powerful being? But when I love Goddess, she glows, she shines. She blooms. Everywhere I'm seeing it. I can literally feel the sweetening of the world wherever I place my love now. The flowers open. The fruit plumps. The new growth is more sensuous and vibrant. People shine. Their color rises and their skin glows. The food I cook is delicious. Cities show me their hidden jewels. Workshops, practices, and methods reveal their secrets like ripe fruit falling from a tree. Claire de Lune plays itself through my fingers more exquisitely. I think this is what is meant by being in the flow, at least for me. But I wouldn't have found this state by looking for the flow. I wouldn't have found this state by searching or having an agenda. I've only found this state because I've discovered a capacity to love what is vulnerable
4: unconditionally.
2: And the only thing I can say about it is,
4: it's it's like magic. We'll be right back.
2: Hi, this is John Carasella, your host for Convergence on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. I truly enjoy putting this show together for you. It's an honor and a blessing to share what I learned from my guests, co-hosts, and personal travels. If you'd like to help, contributions in any amount are gratefully received. Send a contribution via PayPal to convergence at fireflywillows.com. Your support means a lot to me. Thanks for listening. And thanks for your support. Well, that's our show. Thanks for joining me. This month, it's been a journey of no agenda, which has arrived at a kind of freedom, joy, and love that I would not have predicted. Raina Satori Stewart, back in August of 2012, talked about creating room for the mystery. Mystery with a capital M. That which you don't know to look for and wouldn't predict. The High Priestess card in the Major Arcana of the Tarot, she knows about this mystery she knows you don't reach it by talking about it or striving for it or studying it but by stillness and vulnerability and openness and love lots of love try it let me know how it goes thanks again for listening until next time
1: Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carasella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Evolve with Robin White Turtle-Lizney, Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m.